You're listening to Pim Talk, the product marketing podcast, brought to you by InRiver. Welcome to PIM Talk, the podcast for product marketers, merchandisers, and PIM professionals. And every second Tuesday, we come together to share knowledge, experiences, and challenges to be able to create even better product stories. Maybe you're wondering what PIM is. PIM is a software that is all about managing all product marketing information in one place to create a rich customer experience in all channels and shorten time to market. And if you're new to PIM, check out our first episode, What is PIM? I'm your host, Thomas Schwabberg. I'm the creative director at InRiver, and we want to do this podcast for you and with you. So please contact us and tell us what topics you would like us to cover, what guests you would like to have on the show, or maybe you want to contribute in any way. So you can email us at pimtalk at inriver.com or send a message on Twitter at pimtalkpodcast. Hey there, I hope you're having a great summer. And um, in this episode, we're going to take a look at how we can calculate or how we can measure return on investment on your PIM solution. And uh, hopefully it will give you some new ideas or angles on how how you can look at this. And to my help, I have Dan O'Connor from Aware. So let's get on with the talk. Today, I'm very happy to have Dan O'Connor from our partner, Aware, in the studio. So, uh, hi there, Dan. How are you? Not too bad. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you. We're going to talk about the um, the PIM ROI story today and how you can think about return on investment working with PIM and when you're planning or maybe doing a business case for your PIM project. And um, But before we go into that, could you just tell us uh, something about your background, Dan? Sure. Um, so I am the head of the product data practice at Aware. Um, my team takes care of the business side requirements gathering and solutions that uh, are implemented for our product data practice for our clients. Um, I have a history in taxonomy, data analytics, um, and technology. So I have several different uh, disciplines that come together, and my team brings a diverse background of abilities in all of product data spaces. Yeah. And we have also had the pleasure to have you as one of our business an- analysts some years ago. Correct. I was at InRiver for about a year, about three years ago. Yeah. And uh, could you tell us something more about Aware, the company you work for today? Yeah, sure. Uh, Aware is a consulting agency that we work on end-to-end product data. So we work with ERP systems, PLM systems, uh, PIM systems, and CMS systems, both from a tool and an overall people process uh, perspective to be able to bring product data to a better quality, to be able to enable e-commerce and uh, website and syndication uh, objectives. So if we want to look at the major benefits of PIM and try to dissect it a little bit, how would you categorize these benefits? Well, the biggest category is going to be data quality. Um, Data quality is a big benefactor out of 
um, implementing a PIM tool. Um, data consistency and normalization is very important because PIM is about more than just uh, the product data that you're going to see on the website. It, it has to do with navigation. It has to do with the search index that are going to be presented on a website. It has to do with how those aspects are going to show up on your channel partner sites, your retailer sites. It has to do with your SEO strategy and how you're going to manage your keywords in a consistent fashion. So being able to see all of that data and apply data quality standards to that data up front is very important as a benefit to PIM. Okay. So since this is so important and, and have so big impacts in many different ways, uh, what kind of tools uh, are you are you working with in a PIM in order to um, enable this? Well, the biggest thing is being able to build a proper data model and taxonomy to be able to manage your uh, data quality collection process. Mm. If your data is not collected in a standardized format that is consistent, that users can predict the attributes that they're going to be able to fill out and have a standard process for filling those out, it becomes very difficult and the uptick on their ability to be able to create that good data quality becomes hampered. Um, using the right um, data types, so the difference between a, a decimal number and an integer number, or being able to uh, use more controlled value lists or pick lists than open text strings helps improve data quality significantly in ways that the standard format of collecting in Excel just don't enable that kind of data quality because the users can get around the systems that are actually there for enforcement. Yeah, and I guess also applying different kinds of completeness rules that can can look uh, and make sure that you have the, the correct data in different levels of your taxonomy that you have created. Right, and looking at a lot of our customers, we've built what we call custom completeness that's conditional, where we can now apply completeness rules not just on an attribute, but on the combinations of attributes to be able to make sure that if there is a requirement for them to fill out a data point to meet a completeness element, that they're fill they're filling that out properly when it applies, as opposed to just filling it out with a not applicable or putting in a bad data value because they feel like they have to fill out something that in reality they don't. Yeah. So data quality is uh, number one in your book. What else do you have? Uh, syndication is a big challenge in the United States. Um, yeah. Every single channel partner has their own format with their own wording, with their own controls. You have to be able to meet all of those requirements to be able to set up a product within their system. And when you have to do that with five or six channel partners all at the same time, but different people are attempting to accomplish that task, you end up with different data across your syndication channels. And that causes problems downstream, both with um, customers not seeing the correct data because data quality suffers, and also because it takes longer to get products to market when you have uh, five or six people that are creating redundant data um, that just makes it take longer to be able to get it onto a store shelf or onto an e-commerce website. Yeah, and it's easy that uh, working with this, that this this is growing exponentially when you enter new markets and uh, and more and more of these channel partners uh, are requiring information 
uh, of you in new ways. Uh, yes, and the biggest benefit of using a PIM tool is that you can standardize your collection process so that a single group can be filling out all the attributes that are required for all of your syndication channels through a standardized workflow rather than the uh, haphazard methodology of email and Excel spreadsheets, which leads to a lot of last mile escalations, which diverts resources from what they commonly should be doing to be able to develop and research products, just to be able to source data to be able to meet a syndication challenge that they might have met three or four other times, but with a slightly different slant because it was a different retail channel. All right, data quality syndication. What comes next? So the next thing is the impact that it can have on your customer experience. Um, so we talked a little bit in data quality about uh, SEO and about uh, faceting and search indexing. And one of the common things that we've seen occur over the last 10 years is faceting that because their controls aren't in place to be able to standardize what is going to be used as a facet value, you end up with duplicative facet values that conflict with each other. Mm. So if you can imagine if something ha is 12 inches and they put INCH and then the next facet down is 12 IN, well, if you click on 12 INCH, you lose all the 12 uh, IN products out of your uh, faceting experience, which means you're missing products that you should be buying. Mm. The same as if you don't have a controlled vocabulary on your search index, it's easy for the incorrect products to show up in a search request that another product that should show up that would be most beneficial to the customer may get skipped because of that lack of standardization. Yeah. And that occurs with SEO as well, because if you have a common set of terms that you can work with in your SEO strategy that work across not just your own internal website, but your channel partners to be able to raise your products, you need those to be consistent or else Amazon versus Walmart versus uh, Target might hamper your SEO strategy instead of enabling it. Mm. And I guess this is much about the data, the consistency of the data and all of that and how that affects the, the customer experience. But then on the other hand, we have the, the whole experience with rich media, images, videos, being able to tell the, the full product stories, which is also, you know, one of the, the big uh, advantages of, of having a, a good PIM system and a good PIM process in place. Right. And one of the studies that was conducted about two years ago found that about 12% of products were returned to a store that were bought online because the image did not match or the image that was present was not detailed enough to be able to enable the correct buying behavior. Yeah. So being able to store more images, being able to disseminate those images faster uh, with better quality is very important to customer experience because it reduces the amount of returns that you're going to have for products. Yeah, that's interesting. And speaking about returns, I know that you have a lot to say about the the benefits when it comes to to um, minimize the returns and uh, chargebacks and missed sales and so on. So could you elaborate a bit about that and maybe why you don't think about that so much when, when you when you um, when you work with PIM uh, in the first place? 
So uh, chargebacks are interesting because we have a lot of clients that they produce products that they want to get them to market as close to the time of production or manufacture as possible, which what that means is that for a long lead time channel like Home Depot or Granger that wants data six months ahead of time, they might not have all of the uh, logistics data that's required, the dimension data, the weight data, um, some of the testing standards that might not all be present. But what ends up happening is because they're working in Excel spreadsheets, when they do are when they're provided that data by whoever has it within the system from a finalized perspective, it doesn't always get updated to the channel partner. That causes uh, chargebacks. Home Depot will charge $25,000 per instance as a fine if your dimensions are 20% off on your logistics data. Um, this is because they plan their warehousing very strictly to be able to manage their cost. But if your dimensions are out of tolerance from what they've told you, your products sit at the side of the warehouse until that fine is paid to be able to get uh, it put back into the warehouse so you can actually get it to shelves. That's harsh. We have customers that are spending close to seven figures on chargebacks just because they never update that data. A PIM system allows you to consolidate that data and update it on a regular basis and disseminate the newest data as soon as possible, which means that the chargebacks are reduced because you're more sure that the right data at the right time is going to get to that channel partner, which can really reduce the chargeback cost. Okay. But there's other costs that are associated with that as well that you talked about, the missed sales and the returns. Um, and this goes into faceting and other uh, elements that we talked a little bit about before. Um, but a, that same study that found that 12% of products were returned because the image was incorrect or there weren't enough images also found that about 17% of products were returned because the data was incorrect on that product. It was very difficult for them to be able to get the correct data to the customer, which uh, at the right time, uh, both from a channel partner perspective and an internal perspective, which was increasing the number of returns that these companies were dealing with. All right. This also goes to missed sales because, again, if the data is not properly put into a facet and a, or a product is not properly represented in the search index, it's very easy for a customer to be able to miss that product in the representation of a product listing page um, that might have several products that they would purchase, they might not see the correct products. Hmm. What it'll also do is um, if customers are cross shopping and they go to one retailer and see one piece of data, they go to another retailer and see another piece of data for the exact same item and that data conflicts, they don't then go and look for a third piece of data to be able to validate. They look for a new product or a new retailer. The brand trust at that point is lost, Yeah, which means that you're missing sales because customers can't find the right product or the data that they're presented gives them a distrust on either that product or that brand. Yeah. I want to get back to the chargebacks because it's huge amounts that you're talking about, seven figures. I, I, I suspect it's dollars, right? Yes. So that's eight figures Swedish crowns. So what kind of companies are we talking about that uh, that is in this situation? Is it and and who 
what are the partners you mentioned home depot but who who is in this situation what, what kind of companies are we talking about well so all sorts of companies in the u.s are instituting data scorecarding to be able to say your data has to meet a certain standard for you to be able to push that data through the system. Mm. Um, Home Depot is the biggest one that has the largest number of chargebacks, but I was involved at Target and we attempted to implement a chargeback system. Um, Walmart has attempted this at times and Amazon is very strict about the data quality if you're in vendor central for a program yeah. where it's not so much a chargeback will be the problem, but Amazon won't sell your products for a period of time, which leads to those missed sales, which is sort of a chargeback based off of the longer it takes Amazon to get the product online, the longer it takes to build up the SEO value in that product and to build up the sales. Mm. So different companies are trying to enforce data quality for a lot of different reasons. But most of them are attempting in some way to be able to say, if your quality does not meet our standards, you are going to have to pay extra to sell that product through us. You're listening to Pintalk, the product marketing podcast. And after this short break, we're going to continue talk to Dan O'Connor from Aware around how you can look at return on investment on your PIM solution. PIM stands for Product Information Management, and InRiver stands for PIM. Want to learn more about how your organization can benefit from PIM software? We've put together a free white paper where you can learn what you need to know about how your e-commerce platform can benefit from PIM. Go to www.pimtalk.com to download a free guide to help you better understand how PIM can work for you. That's www.pimtalk.com. So talking about the return on investment, is is it harder to prove that on a PIM investment compared to other marketing and IT solutions? Um, It can be. It depends on how you look at what your return on investment is going to be. Let's take a CMS, a content management system um, uh, implementation for an example. A content management system has almost a direct tie to what the customer sees. So it's easy to prove an increase or a decrease in sales based off of that implementation. Um, As we spoke about, there's transitions that happen or transformations that happen in the data for a PIM tool after the data leaves that tool that makes it a little bit more difficult to be able to uh, make a direct line to that revenue increase that people are always looking for. So it can be more difficult. But there is a huge story in the removal of redundancy in process and in increasing time to market and in increasing data quality that although that soft benefit of revenue will obviously apply but isn't as measurable, the amount of time that it will take and the effort that it will take for for a product to go from the origination to landing on a customer's shelf will be much lower of a cost than if you're attempting to continue to do it in Excel or other formats. Yeah, and that time to market aspect is uh, 
is somewhere where you really can, you know, get your money back for your investment. Very quickly. Um, but it also comes down to resourcing because most of the companies that are not using a PIM tool or are using a PIM tool in the incorrect way, uh, using bad methodologies for either data model or process, are spending more money managing either temporary resources or pulling users away from other activities they should be performing in an attempt to make up for their product data deficiencies. Hmm. So creating that predictable process and measuring that process in a time to market perspective and in an effort perspective will reap huge cost reductions that generally will pay for a project like this fairly quickly. You add in if you're dealing with a chargeback situation or if you're attempting to send to one world sync or any of the data pools, um, the complexities that occur in trying to generate those files. And those savings can uh, add up fairly quickly. And then the soft side of it with the revenue side becomes the added bonus as opposed to becoming the impetus for doing a PIM project. Yeah, but when you help a customer uh, analyze this or doing an ROI calculation, what are the metrics that you put in the equation, so to speak? So there's a level of effort that is involved in resourcing to collect product data Hmm. and understanding not just the total time that it takes in days or weeks or months for a product to launch, but the effort and the communication that's involved to be able to manage that activity, that can be measured in a Sigma-6 format. Uh, There's lots of ways to be able to measure that, to be able to get to what the cost is at a current point in time. So before you implement a PIM or before you refactor a PIM to be more efficient. Then you can look at what the that same amount of time would be with a PIM system implemented with a process that puts the right people adding the right data at the right time. You can then measure both that cost from a resourcing perspective and from the amount of time it takes from origination of the product to it landing on a customer's shelf. Okay. The other thing that we can do is we can start looking at from a BI perspective, integrations in to uh, product data into the BI space. We see this a lot with larger companies where their product data is just fractionally entering their data warehouse as opposed to being able to have a full representation of product. This can be a big deal because that can incrementally help sales, but it also lets you do things like manage my relationship between customer and product Mm. and being able to manage those from a BI perspective. um, Everywhere that we work, whenever we bring up that subject, everybody is always clamoring for that. And there is a huge appetite for bringing in more data into the BI space. So if anyone listened to this and uh, are, you know, are about to build a business case for a PIM investment, do you have any advice for them what they uh, could do? Um, the first thing that you have to do is start doing the user interviews early on to be able to figure out what your process is today. Because until you understand the full scale of what is happening in your business to be able to syndicate data, Um, to be able to send that data around to different channel partners, it's very difficult to understand cost. And understanding that cost element is very important to be able to build that business case. The second thing, 
Um, if you are attempting to talk to marketers and bring a revenue sides only story to a marketer, it is very difficult for them to be able to tie together how product data quality is going to directly impact their business. But if you talk about it in terms of how much the marketers are spending time wrangling data today versus how much of that time they will gain back to do more of the marketing that is the job that they actually signed up for, um, it's easier to be able to tell a marketer that it, they're gaining that time back is a positive benefit to them as opposed to saying how it's going to impact their uh, faceting or their uh, SEO or their internal search. So talking in terms that people understand is very important. Hmm. Um, and then lastly, understand that measuring those cost benefits is as important as trying to describe those revenue side soft benefits. Um, if you implement the correct process and if you build the process to work with the way that the business works and if you understand the limitations of the data that you have today and how implementing a tool like this can improve the overall data quality that removes a lot of those limitations that cost element will pay for the entire project fairly quickly cool so besides that another advice uh, i guess would be to download the PIM ROI story by Dan O'Connor. I, I guess you can find it on the AWARE website. Yes, if you go to the blog section, you will see it's called the ROI story, uh, putting the value to PIM. Yeah, and I also know that you quite frequently post on LinkedIn um, posts regarding taxonomy, data quality, PIM and so on. Uh, yes, I, I love blogging. Um, I, t I tend to uh, be very passionate about product data. Um, so if you look me up on LinkedIn, you'll see all of the blogs that I have and connections to the AwareWeb website to be able to see additional blogs. Um, I also, in the Minneapolis area, host taxonomy uh, uh, user groups um, where we just uh, discuss data quality, uh, BI perspectives, taxonomy itself, um, uh, I, I'm just very passionate about product data. Yeah, cool. So, uh, I mean, we try to cover different topics here at PIM Talk. Um, do you have a topic that you would like us to cover in another episode or have a tips of a, a dream guest that you think that we should try to get to the show? Honestly, what I'd like to see a, a, at some point is a comparison of how uh, different stimuli from different clients are handled by different partners. And I realize that's more complex because you bring multiple partners into the conversation. But I think we all can learn from each other. Mm. Uh, for example, um, our custom completeness, um, when we first built our custom completeness for conditionality, um, we looked back on customers that we had worked with previously and thought of all the different ways that we would have changed how we implemented based off of just that simple change in a simple little extension. Mm. Um, so understanding how partners are uh, adapting to client uh, requirements in creative ways would be really interesting to me because I think, again, we all can learn from each other. 
Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that we're going to talk about in another episode, hopefully, is that I know that there are initiatives out in the partner community uh, with a new uh, GitHub um, initiative, a uh, community GitHub for partners to share solutions with each other. So for um, for code sharing. So that's also going to be interesting to follow. But it's it's brand new. It hasn't really been launched yet. But um, we'll hear more about that later. Perfect. So really nice uh, speaking to you, Dan, uh, and um, see you around. Okay. Uh, thank you for the time. And it's great talking to you as well. There will be many opportunities uh, this fall to meet us and also other customers. And the first upcoming event is on July 31st, uh, Embracing Change, How to Jumpstart Your Digital Transformation. And that is an event uh, that we are doing with Perficient uh, in Milwaukee in the United States. And you can always see all our events on the website on inriver.com. Uh, looking further on, uh, in um, the Netherlands, we have an event the 10th of uh, September on how will the future world of PIM impact the customer's behavior. Uh, we will be on Episerver Ascend in Denmark September 12th. Uh, we have a webinar uh, September 17th with LanguageWire about globalization for manufacturers. Then we have the big upcoming event in Chicago, September 18th, Pinpoint Americas. And also the day before, we're going to have customer forums and partner forums. So uh, make sure that you um, sign up for this and you should have got the invitation uh, in your email. I'm pretty sure of that. Otherwise, head into our website in the events page and you will get links so you can sign up. In Malmö, Sweden, uh, we're going to have uh, an event. I'm actually going to be one of the speakers. Um, if you really need a tool for product information management, and that is something that we are doing with our partner, Concede, and in River Champion, Roy Eriksson will also be on stage. Uh, we're going to participate in Internet Retailing Conference in, uh, in London on October 10th and on the Retail Experience Live in Helsinki, Finland, November 6th and 7th. And then, already now, please mark in your calendar Pinpoint Summit 2020 in Malmö, 1st and 2nd of April. And that was all the events. Um, we also have a lot of upcoming trainings looking in Amsterdam. Uh, the next training will be on October 23rd, 24th, and that will be for business consultants. Um, we will have also both business consultant and developer trainings in Chicago on October 1st and 2nd, and December 3rd and 4th. And in EMEA, we will have training in uh, Malmö also, and that will be in September 25th and 26th and in November 20 and 21st. We will also have some user trainings in Stockholm on September 18th, in Düsseldorf on October 23rd and Malmö November 13th. Also user trainings in Chicago August 22nd, 23rd, October 1st and 2nd, November 13th and 14th, and December 3rd and 4th. 
So already a lot of dates that you can keep track of. And if you want to prepare, uh, there is a free uh, preparatory course that you also need to do in order to get the other certification trainings. So uh, looking forward to see you on all uh, events and trainings going forward. Thank you for listening. For feedback, tips and questions, you can email us at pimtalk@nirriver.com or message us at pimtalkpodcast at Twitter. Please, if you like the show, go into iTunes and give us a good review. And if you would like to see some behind-the-scenes material, bloopers and live streams, you can follow Pimtalk on Instagram. See you again in two weeks. Bye.